0: A long, long time ago, I wrote an article entitled The True Story, or A True Story, about the need for ethics in procurement training. What I should have entitled it was How Ethics Can Keep You Out of Jail. And as I go over the story about a guy by the name of Jim, and that's not his real name, but I am going to tell you about him and about where he worked, and what happened, and you'll get the idea of how you should react, or maybe how you might have reacted, just as he did. So here we go. Robert Nauer, CPCM, CPPO, taking you through a new podcast, another podcast actually, about ethics, and Propriety and Contracting, Ethics, Standards of Conduct, and Procurement Integrity, uh, used to be one of the courses that I taught. I don't teach anymore. I'm retired now. Luckily, I can be. I used to teach to federal, state, and local governments, um, all kinds of courses, but ethics had a special place in my heart. Um, it, It's always been a calling for me since I turned whistleblower back in 1983. That whistleblowing incident changed my life and the lives of others forever. And over the years, I have been involved in saving the career, so far anyway, of a retired naval commander and helping others, such as Jim, who have been involved with um, hotline complaints, Office of Inspector General, investigations, etc. And I hope that by me talking about this, you will maybe learn a little something. So what I've seen over the last 30-some years makes it very clear to me Uh, that somebody has to tell the truth about government employees and not just the typical garbage that typical OIGs and government ethics attorneys often talk about in their required annual ethics training or standards of conduct training, if you want to call it that. It's, it's, It's necessary. For a particular reason, it's not to instill ethics. It's just to have you sign on the dotted line that you understand so they can put you in jail if you fuck up. Uh, Ethics can be a fun topic with a good speaker, somebody that has real world experience. But typically government attorneys are not those people. And I have been involved with the law and whistleblowing aspects of ethics. So uh, I kind of know a lot about it. It is never interesting to have to sit and listen to somebody who's a boring old government attorney, and trust me, they have a lot of them. Uh, back in ni- in 2008, I taught a contracting officers class, a contracting, uh, we call them CORs now, Contracting Officer Representatives, those who represent the contracting officer. And I taught it to a group of mid-level federal, and um, quasi-military employees for the Public Health Service in Bethesda, Maryland. When covering uh, the required ethics and procurement integrity sections, I had several employees come and tell me that they had been whistleblowers in the past and how they suffered as a result of being a whistleblower. I don't think anybody knew any better than I did, about that. One had recently come back from a a luncheon seminar that was put on by a drug manufacturer at uh, NIH, which had given out a free DVD player with a company drug DVD loaded inside of it. Now, back in 2008, that would have cost about $199 on the retail market. The uh, public health service officer in question decided and told me that she decided not to take those goodies that were given out to all the attendees at the colloquium, as they call it, simply because I had put the fear of God into them in class about taking gratuities from contractors. Um, It was interesting because that's from what is called a prohibited source. You can't take gratuities from somebody that's doing work for your agency. And so she learned that that would have been a criminal offense to have done so. So it's kind of interesting that my class talks back then sank into some people and to other people it didn't. And I wondered to myself back then if those attendees... Uh, realize just how damning their actions would have been by merely accepting a free $199 DVD player that had the firm's drug manufacturer's logo on it. Yeah, who cares, right? Nobody gives a shit. Well, that's exactly my point. I'm sure that many ethics attorneys preaching ethics today simply don't seem to stress enough the hardships that somebody can endure by accepting such gratuities. So, needlessly, my my uh, teaching did impact some people for the good, and that's a good thing. Well, here's the deal. Uh, besides teaching about ethics, I also talked about invoicing and other things, and keeping of records. And six months after that particular class at the National Institute of Health, one of my students, a public health service officer who was a lieutenant at the time, and I'm going to call him Jim, um, he called me at my home because I had given out my home phone number to all the students in class saying, if you ever have any questions, feel free to call me. So sure enough, I get this phone call. And um, I'm going to call this guy Jim. Jim was the equivalent of a a GS-13 as a public health service officer lieutenant. And he had been appointed as a program officer right out of college. No experience at all. And about a year and a half before this incident I'm going to talk about, Jim knew nothing about federal contracting government contracting rules or regulations. He hadn't even been to training. And yet his own boss and his agency, the National Institute of Health, made him a COR, a contracting officer's representative, without the required mandatory, keyword mandatory training. This was an is an egregious insult to any employee of an agency to make him or her responsible for something without prior and proper training. So, Jim had received no such training, and the likelihood of him getting into trouble w- would have been greatly diminished if he had had the training, but he didn't. So, anyway, like I said, Jim called me at home early one, I think it was a Monday morning at my home in Woodbridge, Virginia, and telling me that he remembered my talks about ethics and 18 USC statutes, IOIG rules, and how to deal with federal investigators. And, uh, he told me that he felt, as he said, Bob, I think I'm in serious trouble. And that the federal investigators, uh, came to my house, they were referring to certain actions that I may or may not have taken when I was working for my GS-15, who was possibly corrupt. And uh, these investigators were with the OIG, the Office of uh, Inspector General. Well, needless to say, Jim was terrified. I could hear it in his voice on the phone. Uh, He was a very scared young man. Now, uh, let me say this, too. Uh, I, From what little I remembered about Jim, knowing him, his demeanor, his intelligence, his kindness in class, uh, I knew what he was telling me certainly wasn't true and that he didn't knowingly break federal law. Yet, Jim was evidently in needless trouble. And like I said, I'm not going to talk about um, the real person or the uh, sub-agency in NIH that he worked for, I'm just going to talk about the situation. So when you get in trouble, such as Jim appeared to be, uh, you're going to incur literally thousands of dollars in out-of-pocket expenses for a criminal attorney, for one. Maybe a subcontracted subject matter expert for having to take polygraphs. Uh, that run about $750 a piece, if not more. The stress on your family, your marriage, having to take a mortgage out on your house. And, and all of this is a no joke. It's true. Even uh, the former head of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, who went to prison, can tell you th- that what I'm saying is, in fact, the truth. So, So let me tell you what Jim did or did not do right. And then let me tell you what the actual outcome was of Jim's case. And he was a very lucky guy. Jim stated to me on the phone that when he was newly assigned to his agency at NIH to manage and administer a contract, it was a construction contract, over a vendor that he was in charge of overseeing. Again, he had received no procurement training, at least not until a year and a half later when he took my COR class. All along Jim was approving invoices that he legally was not allowed to do and he was interfacing with a vendor that he really shouldn't have been doing because he didn't have the training and he didn't really understand any of the terms and conditions that were written in the contract because he didn't understand contracting. Now how crazy is that? Jim also stated that about a year and a half into the contract he had received an email from this contractor asking him to approve a payment for monies on this federal contract that was not in accordance with the terms and conditions of what he had read in the contract. So instead of doing the smart, right, and intelligent thing and documenting the email and doing a follow-up with another documented email and keeping a copy of the email saying, no, absolutely not, he instead went in person and met with the vendor's project officer to tell him of the request and that it was clearly out of line and that he could not approve it. Well, not only did he go in person and talk to the contractor and his boss, uh, his GS-15 supervisor, Jim stupidly kept no record of this conversation, what we refer to as a memorandum uh, of the moment or a memorandum uh, to document. And he later told me that he believed his supervisor was corrupt and had had an ongoing business relationship with the contractor for a number of years. According to the way his boss, his GS-15 supervisor, spoke about the contractor is that they were buddy-buddy and played golf, etc. So when Jim informed his so-called corrupt supervisor about the request by the vendor for more money by simply fudging invoice amounts for work not actually performed to cover added expenses that were claimed to have been incurred by the vendor, Jim's boss said, you leave it up to me to handle this matter. And so Jim did. And later, Jim found out that his boss had in fact approved an illegitimate invoice to keep the vendor happy, quote unquote. Jim let it slide, and did nothing to bring this issue up to his supervisor ever again, and he told me basically that he was scared and intimidated by his senior supervisor because he was a 15 and he was just a little old public health service lieutenant, and he knew that if he raised a stir or a stink about it, his career and promotional opportunities might suffer. They could have. Several weeks later, the Office of Inspector General Agents came to see Jim at his office. Uh, Evidently, someone had blown the whistle on him and on his boss. Somebody in the cubicles next door were listening. So Jim ended up sitting with the OIG investigator after being informed of his rights, and then Jim spilled his guts on what he knew about the situation. And let me tell you this, the OIG will never ever sit there and talk to you until they've sworn you in, had you raise your right hand and swear under oath and penalty of perjury, and then sign to that effect, because they want to get it down of everything that you know. So uh, from my perspective as a former contracting officer and having been involved with the OIG in a number of times over the course of my career, unfortunately as a federal employee, you do not have the luxury of refusing to speak to them as you do privately. And if you do, uh, they can simply refer you to the to HR and terminate you on the spot for refusing to cooperate. That's one of the dangers. Now, you could have gotten an attorney and said, I'll be happy to speak to you and tell you everything I know, but I, I would like to have my attorney present. So what I find out of amusing about this whole situation that Jim encountered is that 99% of all federal employees do not know this, that they have to cooperate. From a legal standpoint, Jim Probably and unfortunately said way, 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 way too much during his initial interview with the OIG, which he shouldn't have. He should have had an attorney present. So the fact is he could have agreed to cooperate with the OIG, but he should have gotten an attorney, a criminal attorney. And most federal employees do not know this, and they don't know when to keep their mouths shut. The attorney will advise them of that. So as an employee... What I want you to know is that you cannot refuse to cooperate, but you can refuse until you have an attorney present. Again, Jim failed on this particular point. And what Jim didn't know was that his career was, in fact, probably going to suffer substantially because of his failures as an ill-trained COR and by speaking too much initially to the OIG. So I refer anyone to listen to this podcast and also pass it on to others because it could keep you out of jail. Now, Jim did not know what being interviewed by the OIG at that moment, what was going to uh, happen to his life. I guess he knew it wasn't going to be good. So after they had information, after they had looked at his files, which they Took And after they had taken his computer and looked at what he had on his computer, which were invoices that he had approved, not his boss, but him, for payment, uh, which should not have been approved, Jim was in a lot of hot water. And yet, Jim stated to me, Bob, I didn't do anything wrong. I did not approve false invoices. I didn't think they were false. Maybe I thought they suspected my boss, but not me. Maybe they're trying to get at my boss through me. Well, that was a good assumption because that's exactly what the Department of Justice was going to do, try to get at his supervisor who had that cozy relationship with the construction contractor rather than jim but nine times out of ten investigators and fbi agents they do exactly that because they have to start at the bottom and work their way up the food chain so i told jim that's probably a pretty good possibility but you are never going to know buddy jim knew that i had lots of experience working with oig so he asked me on the phone that monday morning early as he was basically crying on the phone what am i going to do what should I do? And I told Jim from my own personal experience, I said, what I'm about to tell you and would tell any federal employee all the way from a GS4 all the way up to a senior executive service is the following. First and foremost, keep your mouth shut. Number two, get a very good criminal attorney as quickly as possible. and You're going to have to put up a lot of money down for that. I never ever speak to law enforcement without having legal representation. In other words, don't sit in the room with the OIG that are special agents. Don't sit in the room with FBI agents that are going to take down every word you say. Have an attorney there to work with you and represent you. Doesn't mean that you're refusing to cooperate. You are cooperating. Thirdly, or fourthly, let your attorney do all the speaking for you as much as they can, and then say absolutely nothing to your coworkers, which happens to be a natural tendency of most federal employees to talk, 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 blab blab blab. And then since his supervisor was the corrupt person, say nothing to your supervisor. Even if he says, What was going on? Why were those OIG investigating you? You just simply say, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Let your attorney Deal with all the issues, let your attorney negotiate with the feds. It might keep you from getting charged in the, his particular case, his supervisor was the real target of the investigation because other employees in also suspected that his boss was corrupt and then finally, I said to him, Jim, you need to get a big home equity loan because you're going to need it and he goes, Well, how much and I said, Well Depends on how long this thing drags out. And in Jim's case, um, even though they did bring an indictment against him, uh, no, they didn't. They, They were threatening to bring an indictment against him. Off and on for three and a half years, the federal DOJ threatened to bring a criminal indictment against Jim. And for every year you have to spend talking and negotiating with prosecutors. That's a lot of money you're racking up in, in time and investigations, etc. So I told Jim, I said, well, if you're lucky, 25000 on a plea deal. It's probably more like 50 to 75 now. And then at that time in 2008, I said anywhere from $50,000 to a million dollars if you decide that you want to go to a six person jury trial uh, for civil criminal fraud to prove your innocence, uh, which could last anywhere from two days to six weeks in the jury box. Today, that would probably be more like two and a half million dollars for your attorney and support. So it's a lot of money, and the average American citizen, unless you're a multimillionaire, does not have that amount of money. You're going to be broke. You're going to be bankrupt. You're going to owe everybody for the rest of your life, even if you're not guilty. And that is why 99% of all innocent people plead guilty. It's because in order to get a not guilty verdict, you have to go to trial and you and i are not rich enough to be able to afford that so even poor bastards like us have to plead guilty even though you didn't do anything wrong so where's lady justice in all this what what's all this bullshit about equal justice under the eyes of the law that's all a bunch of cock and bullshit i'm sorry as a fed i've been there i know about it can i just ask you to imagine yourself in Jim's situation having investigators show up on your doorstep late at night at 10 a.m. 10 p.m. at night and tell you that they're going to refer your case to the Department of Justice for Potential Indictment of Criminal Fraud. Oh my God, just how terrified would you and your wife, if you're married, be? Well, the simple fact is, each and every day in our country, innocent people are in fact caught up in a legal snare trap by federal investigators for just this, just trying to do their jobs, just like Jim was trying to do his jobs. And the feds? They don't give a shit, they don't care, because they're not in your shoes, and they don't have to. All they have to do is do their case, submit the paperwork, and let DOJ decide if a grand jury is going to return an indictment. So federal employees, just like Jim, need to understand that investigators and prosecutors are not, let me repeat that, are not your friends or allies though during the investigation and interview they will pretend to be but they're not they don't care about you they don't care what happens to you or your family they don't care they have a job to do which they will do at all cost even like the fbi even like the atf Um, and sometimes they will actually be very vindictive if you take a look at the vindictive prosecution of the former head of the federal office of procurement policy under bush by the name of david safavian his prosecution was a very very vindictive prosecution i sincerely believe knowing about david and his case as i do now that he probably just got caught up in bullshit just like jim did anyway when i got through talking on the phone With Jim about his plight and what he should do. He really seemed like a broken soul. How broken? I asked him how the feds coming to question him at night with his wife uh, was going to impact his marriage. For a moment or two there was silence on the phone. Jim trembled and didn't seem to know how to answer that, and I could hear him quivering as his voice began to break. And then I could hear him crying a little bit. Well, as an honest former contracting officer for the government, I too know how it feels to be accused of wrongdoing by an investigator. And that's why I'm talking about this case. And why I always want you to have everything in writing. Always keep Memos for the record. And yes, you may even tape those conversations of the investigators questioning you. Make sure that you have a record of what. You said. Now, sometimes, uh, sometimes I am actually ashamed of our American judicial system and how it works, especially when I see dedicated federal employees, or any employees for that matter, simply trying to do their jobs to the best of their abilities given limitation of funds or circumstances or stresses or pressures. What people like Jim needed was a strong and intensive ethics and procurement training program which he did not get today they do have that in the federal government thank god back in two thousand and eight they did not and for goodness sakes uh, if you happen to be a senior level acquisition or a program manager or project manager for the government whether it's state or local government or federal government do not make your subordinate responsible and accountable for contracting actions without the appropriate contracting and procurement ethics training, and also instill the fear of God in them for not following the rules. And lastly, as a Fed myself, I would tell anyone that when it comes down to either you or your supervisor. If you know that your supervisor or another employee close to you is committing or has committed a criminal act, has committed fraud, and there is even the slightest possibility of your involvement, then you need to immediately get a criminal attorney and get a retainer for one given to them so you are covered you need to immediately get a criminal attorney on your side. And then, and listen to this, if you, like I said, believe that you may be involved in it even though you didn't do anything you think wrong, after you have acquired your own criminal attorney, I want you and your criminal attorney to go Jointly, together, to the office of Inspector General, or the FBI, or the Criminal um, it, Defense Criminal Investigative Service, or the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, or the Air Force uh, OSI, or the Army CID. I want you and your attorney to go and turn yourself in as a witness for the state because by doing so 99.9% of the time you will then be off the hook and will not be prosecuted so long as it's shown that you weren't substantially involved but you do open yourself up to the same kind of issues that Jim had and that was you're going to have to take a mortgage out on your house you're going to have to spend thousands of dollars you're going to be involved in many 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 legal cases and, and interviews. So, what have you learned so far? Uh, not to be a target of an investigation. <laughs> uh, Jim was not the actual target of uh, the NIH Office of Inspector General Investigation, but they used him. They hung him out to dry. The Department of Justice threatened to prosecute him for over three and a half years. The unimaginable stress and toll that it took on jim and his family and his parents to come up with the money necessary to cover his legal fees he was lucky because in jim's case he did not get convicted of anything he didn't even get indicted he was going to be indicted three and a half years before the feds finally decided to drop all potential indictment Charges, uh, Jim called me on the phone. He said, I just wanted you to know they finally dropped the charges against me. And I said, Why? And he told me, He said, Well, the first year I had one prosecutor who told me I'd probably go to, away to prison for five to ten years. And then she got replaced because she got pregnant by a male uh, DOJ prosecutor. And so all of my files that she had were transferred over to this new male. Uh, prosecutor. He was even worse. He was a real son of a bitch. He was trying to put me away for 20 years in prison, and I, I was just a nervous wreck. And then he got called up for the um, FEMA investigations for Katrina. And they assigned me a brand-new, young, female prosecutor. And she took over all the files of the two previous prosecutors, about a year each. And uh, she was uh, out for blood, and she wanted me to go to jail unless I could turn my boss in and come up with information. But the problem is I I had no information to give them because I, I didn't do my job initially. I didn't make records of anything. Uh, which I should have done and they had nothing on my boss they couldn't prove because my boss put nothing in writing He 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 always used burner phones to talk to his corrupt contractor he always would go meet in person at a golf course he would never ever be exposed where anybody could overhear him so they couldn't get at him the only person they could get in get at was me and so after a year and a half of my third prosecutor she finally realized we just don't have enough to prosecute that gs-15 supervisor of jim's thus why would we want to put this poor little bastard jim in prison when he's not the real target of our investigation so they finally dropped all potential um prosecution against Jim. But here's what Jim incurred. Jim incurred well over $150,000 in legal fees, which was really chump change when you look at things in the big picture. Whereas David Safavian probably incurred close to $2 million in legal fees. So the longer you are involved with the DOJ, the more costly it becomes. Needless to say, the stress of going through such a uh, probable prosecution is enough to Cause all kinds of serious medical conditions from psoriatic arthritis, arthritis, uh, you name it. Stress does a lot of damage to the body. It can even cause strokes and heart attacks. So Jim turned out to be very lucky. Today, Jim is still with the Public Health Service and Jim is now a commander. And the fact that the Department of Justice chose not to prosecute Jim means basically he had no nothing on his record that would hurt him being a part of the public health service and consequently jim is a very lucky very grateful person and i am sure jim prays to god every single night that he goes to bed and blesses his children had jim done everything correctly had jim been trained had jim known what the ethics rules and requirements were Jim probably would have refused his supervisor's request to sign off on invoices, and Jim would have never, ever been indicted. But Jim probably also would have had enough information and kept appropriate copies to turn them over to the feds so that they could have indicted his boss. But Jim had none of that, because Jim didn't let those little red flags in the back of his neck Stand up. So I want you to remember, as I say goodbye to you on this podcast, um, unless you have no conscience, think, think, think about what you're doing, think, think, think about what you're doing, think, and think some more, then get an attorney. If you like this podcast and all the podcasts that I've done, uh, let your friends know about it and or share it with your friends. Tell them where they can find it. It's on a number of different sources. And you can also Google just Robert Nauer, K-N-A-U-E-R, C-P-C-M, and uh, share this podcast. Have a nice day.